Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast, the official podcast for the Flow State Collective. The Flow State Collective, if you don't know, is an organization that helps leaders and organizations get into flow. We help individuals uh, develop self-awareness, inner leadership skills, inner engineering skills, so they can uh, shift their level of consciousness to be in what we call flow consciousness. And we work on the, with organizations, teams, groups, to help organizations uh, develop a, a sense, a heightened sense of collective intelligence in which trust, purpose, learning and growth are just natural emergences. This week on the Flow State Performance Podcast, I was very excited to have a chat with uh, George Poor, who is a leader in the field of uh, evolutionary organizational change and leadership. Um, this area is has been popularized in the last few years by the concept of teal organizations and the book Reinventing, Organiza- uh, Reinventing Organizations. George is a scholar, an academic, a strategic learning partner, a mentor to visionary leaders. He works across the business uh, and public service, governmental level academic domains. He's a extremely respected voice and a compassionate man, a very wise man, and it was an honor to spend time talking with him in this podcast. Um, in his own words, he says that he's enjoying the most fruitful season of his life, surfing um, the power of the frothy edge. Wow. <laughs> George uh, dropped some serious wisdom in this podcast and uh, really helped me understand how to remain at the edge of this life, which is uh, the world is changing with such rapid uh, complexity there's so much volatility and uncertainty out there in the world and it's only going to increase with greater speed and uh, George's particular form of self-inquiry the quality and type of questions he asks himself and the the evolutionary way he looks at self-perception and uh, perceptions of the world uh, was very striking to me the way that he asks himself different questions as the world has evolved, um, the, the demands of the world, where the world is at, have required a different form of question so that a different form of answer emerges. And this is what this, this podcast is really all about. George is sharing with us um, how to thrive in a world of galloping complexity in which we know more and more about less and less, in which there are shocking amounts of disengagement Um, in the workforce globally, something which he calls the slow holocaust of the soul. If you're interested in these themes, if you're interested in how to stay on the emerging edge, then please listen in and enjoy some of the wisdom shared by this man, this pioneer, this scholar. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here with George Poor, who's tuning in from Brighton in the UK. Welcome to the show, George. Thank you. So, George, please uh, help myself and the audience understand um, a little bit about your work. Um, how do you describe yourself in these situations when you uh, introduce yourself to, to people that you haven't met before? Well, uh, you know, my work uh, starts uh, with my life because really the two are not uh, separate. Uh, although there has been a time of 
till the last uh, 10 years, I would say, when uh, my work as an organizational transformation consultant and uh, my inner life, uh, the life of a spiritual seeker engaged in uh, developing uh, my capabilities, my sensing the world. So these two aspects uh, have been uh, separate. Uh, so I had a professional uh, persona, and uh, I had um, an essential persona, something that is more uh, aligned with the life forces. So uh, what's, what I enjoy the most about my present life, that these two streams uh, came into one, mm. and uh, I'm not divided, and whenever I can experience uh, this uh, higher coherence, um, I'm more happy. <laughs> so um, my work uh, as an organizational transformation consultant has morphed into reinventing uh, myself, organizations, and social systems. So basically the essence of work is a continuous renewal, reinvention, at uh, three scales of um, individuals, um, organizations, slash communities, and um, social systems. Uh, that's, uh, that's in a nutshell. Wonderful. Okay, thank you for explaining that. So um, talk to me a little bit about the, the, the past when, when there was this divide this border between your your personal life and and your work i'm i'm very interested in your pursuit of um spiritual wisdom what what sort of avenues has your pursuit of spiritual wisdom taken you down well after uh, you know i'm a hungarian born american living in brighton and uh, i lived in five, six different countries, immersed myself in many different uh, cultures. So after I kicked out from Hungary, at that time from communist Hungary, and um, I ended up in exile in, in Paris, where I finished my academic studies uh, with a degree in sociology and uh, started uh, teaching sociology at the university. But two years later, I uh, had uh, an intimate uh, affair with a French lady who was a student of an Indian guru. Mm. So I heard uh, about him from her, and uh, 
a month later, I found myself in an ashram in India, deeply immersed in meditation practices. Not only immersed, but, uh, you know, found it so exciting, actually, so interesting, discovering the far uh, reaches of the inner world that uh, I just decided not to go back to academia because this whole intellectual stuff uh, in light of the meditation experience became more boring to me. (laughs) And uh, and so in the ashram I decided, okay, I will drop this, uh, drop my academic career and uh, change the track, became a teacher of uh, meditation practices and when I went back to Paris, I opened the meditation center. And uh, so that became how I made also my living. So at that time, work and life was not separate. But uh, when I moved to America and my life conditions led to that I just had to find uh, a job. So the job that I found, you will be surprised, I became a computer salesman. (laughs) Because uh, as I was looking for a way of making a living, I was walking on the streets of Oakland and I saw a sign in a window, we speak Hungarian, and it was a computer store. I went in, talked with the owner, who was Hungarian, and he hired me in spite of not knowing anything about computers. So that was the forking mm. when uh, again my life took a different turn. And uh, so I, I had to learn computers. Uh, and uh, that took so much energy and mind space from me. What decade was this in, George? That- that was in uh, the 80s, mm-hmm. 1980s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so during all those years, when first I became uh, from computer uh, salesman, I graduated to become a computer consultant, start working with organizations and uh, helping them, not the technical aspect, but more the sociological aspect of creating uh, computer networks. I mean, connecting the minds and parts of their people. But all that, uh, this my whole new life, uh, took so much attention and energy that uh, the inner journey is uh, receded in the, deeply in the background. Uh, so that was the time when I still kept a tiny little flame inside that I nourished, but my in my life practice, there was the whole spiritual dimension basically got lost. Mm. Or almost, I would say almost lost. So that, and that lasted uh, till um, basically when I came back to um, 
Europe and uh, found uh, again time to engage with the journey of inner discoveries. Uh, and uh, then again, uh, the split was uh, getting stronger because as I became more and more interested on the, in the inner, inner journey, and, uh, but I still had to make a living. So um, I think that this uh, dilemma mm. can be uh, relevant, uh, possibly many of uh, people who are reading or hearing uh, this conversation. And so I just, yeah, I just struggled with that uh, until I found the way in the reinvention metaphor that brings it really together because uh, the spirituality that uh, I became involved with uh, is um, an evolutionary spirituality. It's about uh, the, the constant... Uh, development of oneself that is not separate from the development of the world in which we are living. Uh, so um, that's how right now it is really one and the same thing. My life and work uh, are not different. You know, when I'm working with uh, organizational leaders, uh, visionary business people who are uh, trying to transform their organizations, morphing them into more alignment with the needs and requirements of our increasingly complex world, which also requires that uh, we give um, more space to the collective intelligence of people to emerge. Uh, so when I'm working with uh, leaders, mentoring them, uh, each uh, in those relationships, each mentoring really is a cross-mentoring because um, I can uh, further develop myself to the extent that uh, I proved to be useful for those guys. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. That uh, as I become more uh, useful to their transformation, more helpful, uh, that's how I increase my impact on the world. That's how I get more leverage and in the process of working with each, I'm learning a lot about myself. So um, that's uh, just one example of what I mean, that the inner journey and the professional journey mm. became, again, one. Mm. George, you've, you've seen so much, you've seen the world change so much in your lifetime. And... Um, when I think about the, you know, the, the decades that you've, you've been alive and you've been working, and I think about the pace of change that's going on in, since I've been alive, it's, it's breathtaking, it's mind-blowing, it's 
difficult for me to stay on top. Um, what are what are some of the the most significant shifts in in, in the world that that uh, that that have really that really stand out for you that have happened in in your lifetime? Well, what I what I just said about the galloping uh, complexity, which is a consequence of uh, many different things, that includes uh, first of all a technological development, technological changes that, uh, and with that comes the knowledge explosion that we know more and more about less and less, meaning that uh, every smaller uh, branches of uh, science has uh, more and more people engaged in uh, researching, leading to new discoveries, uh, innovation, technological breakthroughs, uh, and uh, also the cross impact of all those uh, innovations in the technical, social, economic, uh, cultural spheres the cross impact of all innovations create more variety in everything. And that means that it becomes increasingly more overwhelming for an individual to keep track of what is happening. Mm. I'm working on a book with the title, What on Earth is Happening? <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, so that's the defining uh, characteristics of our time. And with that uh, comes, uh, so you know, it's, it's both uh, an opportunity and, uh, and a danger, which are the two signs the visual signs of the Chinese world, the crisis. So when we experience uh, a number of global crises from environment, climate, human rights, terrorism, uh, or just the less spectacular, nevertheless also essential form of crisis that uh, in the world, uh, some, according to the Gallup Institute, some 87% of the people are disengaged mm. in the workplace. That's a, that's a crisis because that means that, uh, you know, it's a, so, it's a slow holocaust of the soul that uh, affects millions of people, if I have to spend one third of my life, eight hours a day, at a work that uh, doesn't uh, have any meaning for me, where I have no chance to manifest uh, my human capabilities, my creativity. So that's a crisis that is less spectacular than some of the others, but uh, 
it is very omnipresent. And um, but that's uh, there are also good news. So uh, as one of my friends Tom Atley says, uh, the world is everything is uh, going worse and worse and better and better at the same time. What I add to that is that this these two trends, two families of trends, the trends of uh, downward and the trends of upward spiral are not only moving parallel, but they are also moving faster and faster. That's what some people call the singularity. That's the running uh, amok uh, changes. Um, so in this downward and upward spiral, um, what can we do? What is uh, what is the place where we can have some solid ground under our feet? For for some, that's uh, turning to the past uh, and. Uh, kind of romanticizing the past mm-hmm. as before everything was okay. And then uh, they want to make America great again. <laughs> it was as if there was any time when it was really uh, great uh, in a deep human sense. So I think that uh, the the best time is uh, still ahead of us. And uh, I'm not, not a Polyan optimist. I, I'm not sure whether uh, we will end up uh, in a global breakthrough or breakdown. Only thing I know is that, uh, because we can't really predict the future, even less to control them. So the only thing that I know is, um, I want to work uh, with my tribe, uh, people who are committed uh, to a better world, regardless what will actually happen. And so working with my tribe, uh, that means that uh, paying a lot of attention to the quality of our relationships with each other. Because ultimately, how we are coming out on the other end of the crisis as people, families, neighborhoods, uh, companies, nations, regions, it all depends on how deeply we care for each other, what we are ready to do for each other. So that's my, at least is my belief. And I try to live my life according to this belief. Beautiful. That's uh, your description of the the workplace, that that, that famous uh, research or survey that found all those people disengaged or 70 odd percent disengaged and you said this is a a slow holocaust of the soul that's 
the first time I've heard, the first time I've conceptualized what's happening in the workplace in that way. Um, but it's you, you're so right. Um, that's exactly what it is. If there's if three quarters of the workplace are unable to express their true humanity, then it, it really is analogous to to a to a death of of sorts, um, which is the first time I've ever looked at it like that. Um, yeah, it's also interesting the numbers. Uh, I said eighty seven percent. You said seventy six, and the difference comes from that the eighty seven is the global uh, disengagement percentage, and the seventy six is the American and the industrialized uh, countries. So the, that's also worth paying attention to that there is a discrepancy mm. between uh, a larger uh, part of the world uh, where even the minimum uh, life conditions mm. are uh, cannot be taken for granted mm. there's there's so much we can discuss so let's let's use the time if if you could if uh, you feel okay with this to hone in on this area of in- engagement in in the workplace um, <laughs> so what do, what do you feel I don't mean to 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 make to minimize this with a with a trite question, but but what, what do you feel are some of the most important things that we can do as individuals to do something about what you call this the, the slow holocaust? How can we make work the workplace a fundamentally engaging place in our in our lifetimes? Yeah, that's a question that uh, has been working on me for a quite long time and uh, it has also morphed into newer versions of the same questions Mm. starting with what can we do Uh, I realized that uh, there is no we because when I say what what can we do, the the we is becoming a generic subject that doesn't have an agency. Mm. It's not uh, the we is not acting mm. on anything. Only you can and I can. So I turn the question more personal, uh, because otherwise it. Uh, risk to lead uh, some philosophical platitudes uh, or uh, recepts, recipes for others to uh, do something about it. Mm. That's, that's not very effective. So I, I became very personal and intimate uh, with that question, what is that I can do? And I think that... Uh, that's a useful question for everybody to ask in a, in this very personal term, and of course the answer will be very different according to our 
personal history, talents, uh, skills, aspirations, commitments, and a lot, lot of, of the filters through which we sense reality also. So the what is that I can do morphed again into another question, yet another question. <laughs> Why I want change? You know, uh, it may sound like an obvious because, well, when there is so much uh, unfairness and uh, oppression and patriarchy and lots of social ills, then uh, I just want to change that. Well, it's not that simple because uh, I can have this cognitive or moral indignation leading to uh, the motivation to the wanting to change. But uh, I started digging deeper. What is in my, li- what is in my life that uh, led me to having this commitment to interact with the world, interact with people and organizations in ways that um, can uh, make a positive difference. So what is in my life that uh, I, I need to feel this, uh, the deepest uh, part, uh, I need to be connected with the inner core of why it is really important to me. You know, that was not uh, my approach when I became a movement activist in the 1960s, being uh, an organizer of the student movement, because uh, my uh, ideas and ideals were enough to mobilize my energies. But nowadays, uh, to get to the richest source of uh, life energy available to work for change, uh, I need to be in touch with that part of me, Mm. which is uh, just uh, screaming for... uh, wise action. And uh, so that comes uh, from realizing the profound truth that uh, Martin Luther King expressed with the words, none of us can be free until all of us until all of us are. You know, that sentence has been with me for a long time, and it worked on me as a koan. What does it really mean? How can I experience that? And uh, as I traveled deeper and deeper inside 
of that um, recognition, with it came a new sense of freedom. Excuse me, I have to drink a little water, just a second. So when I'm talking about this new sense of freedom, yes. what I mean is it's not just um, being free from um, oppression or um, regulations or free from people imposing their will on me. It's also being free for realizing my my true potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting thing is that I cannot even know what is my true potential until most of the people in this world are deprived uh, from the possibility to discover their own. Mm. So when that slow Holocaust is happening, uh, it deprives me from discovering my true potential because I am not not an island. I am not uh, isolated uh, or putting in a positive way. Uh, I think that... Uh, each of us has this experience that when we are surrounded with uh, people who are uh, joyful, creative, um, expressing themselves uh, in an unfettered way, that strengthens the same characteristic, the same possibility in ourselves. So if you just extrapolate that, for uh, a larger scale and imagine living in the world where all social institutions from schools and workplaces, army, even prisons are designed with the full blossoming of each individual as their highest purpose. So living in such a world, clearly my own potential would be very different from Mm -hmm. living in 2018. So that's how I, that's the deepest uh, core when you can think of it as, um, uh, I don't know, awakened egoism or an egoism where the ego, where the self is expanded to include the world or putting it in other words, just as simple as dropping the false identity of a separate self because that doesn't exist only in our uh, mind when we think of the individual as uh, being the crown of creation. I I think that uh, in uh, in a in a in society, we are so interdependent that uh, to get the energy moving into action for change, uh, the best source is. Uh, this deep connection 
with uh, my own truth mm. that uh, I'm not doing this uh, only for the sake of the others. I'm doing this because I want to be free also, and that can be possible only when all of us are. Does that make sense to you? This makes perfect sense, and it's this is this is what the the inner work is all about. I I went to a conference a, a couple of days ago, um, which was on on the surface. It was all about purpose driven business, and I, I sat through the morning session, and there was some interesting stuff said and some good quotes, and and then. And then the guy who was leading it um, basically started talking about these ways of, uh, you know, buy one, give one, um, all these sort of models to create like a, a business that, that gives uh, at the same time as, as, as being a profit-making business. And lots of people were taking notes and nodding their heads and thinking about how, what a great way this was to, to help the world. But to me, it it felt nearly, nearly not quite tokenistic because it was more than tokenistic. But it really didn't drive; it, it didn't land at the core of the transformation that needs to happen, which is on the consciousness level. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by how there's there's a there's a there's a risk of this thing called purpose-driven business or purpose in general, almost missing the mark and, and, and um, driving action from a, from a, from a different place and, and almost becoming like a damaging force for the world because the end result is that people think that they're doing something um, to, to, to make things better, whereas in fact they're potentially avoiding looking at themselves in the mirror and, um, doing the work necessary to realize that they are not separate from the whole. <laughs> um, and yeah, I wondered if you had any comments around that theme, which I'm talking about there. Yes, of course you are right. when you say that, uh, without, uh, an expansion of consciousness, uh, nothing will really change, uh, like, uh, we can create purpose-driven businesses, but what is the purpose and who sets the purpose or how the purpose is discovered all depends on uh, the level of consciousness uh, in that uh, group of a business which is uh, driving the culture. So the dominant force uh, in the organization, whether it's a leadership group in formal position or um, in self-managing organizations is uh, the dominant force of the culture is gradually becoming the, the people who provide access to the highest level consciousness available to the organization. Mm. 
So if they are the ones that uh, listen to what is the evolutionary purpose of the organization, then, of course, that will be a different kind of purpose than um, if it comes from uh, the executive committee of a traditional organization, which is about making the stockholders and the Wall Street happy, or it would be even different from those um, the purpose of those organizations that uh, I describe uh, with the phrase of uh, capitalism with a human face, mm. where uh, the people are uh, important, where the people are our most important assets cease to be an empty uh, slogan and uh, becomes the reality of the organization. So those companies, again, uh, they will have a different purpose. Uh, and then uh, if I'm looking at um, the emergent uh, management paradigm, Mm. of next stage organizations that goes beyond the capitalism with the human face uh, kind of purpose. Mm. There uh, we see the organization as a living system that uh, has its purpose not decided by any member of the organization. It's not that we tell what should be the organization of the purpose. Uh, in this new management paradigm, sometimes also called TIL, people in the organization are uh, paying attention, listening to what is the greatest gift of this company to the world, what is the novelty, what is the new thing uh, that uh, our company can bring to the world that will enhance life. Mm. So um, thinking of the organization as a living system, uh, it can be easier to understand and practice what I'm saying, if, um, if you think of um, when you have a child uh, in childbearing, you don't want to impose your will of what the child should become. You, you pay attention to his or her natural tendencies and talents and just support their development. So that's how we can relate to the discovering the evolution purpose of an organization. But for that, of course, uh, people in the organization need to have a close-up relationship with their own 
evolutionary purpose. And they can discover that if they stop asking themselves, uh, what should I do with my life? Mm. And start asking themselves, what life, with a capital L, wants to use my life for? You see the difference? Say the question again. What What life, with a capital L, wants to use my life for? I can put it in another way that um, I have... uh, Basically, each of us is a a bundle of uh, experiences, stories, talents, aspirations, potential. And then if I ask myself how all this can be put in service to the greater good, then it's not... um, me who create a plan for uh, controlling my future, what I should become, but more uh, listening to what life wants me to become, what life wants me to bring my energies, uh, capabilities into focus in service of what? Mm. Okay. That's a big shift. That's, uh, it took um, quite a number of years until I went through that shift. So nowadays I am not asking myself, uh, who am I, as I used to ask in my mm. early decades of meditation. But I'm asking, uh, what our evolution wants me to be today? Today today refers to the concreteness of the question. It's not something abstract to theorize about. Mm. Wow. Are you you, uh, still meditating every day? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, yes, because um, meditation is also not separable for my daily living. Uh, like um, one form of meditation is happening right now mm-hmm. as we speak. I receive your question. And uh, I receive not only the words of your question, but the space from which those words are coming. So that's what is happening on one hand. And on the other hand, I am also listening uh, to my body, to my breath, to the weight of my hands on the desk and just being present to this uh, inner 
happenings at the same time as I am present to the signals coming from you, that is uh, both uh, triggering, causing, and it is also a result of a meditative awareness. So in that sense, uh, I am meditating in every day. And uh, besides that, I also do some more formal silent meditations. Uh, we, in our teams, the teams that I am working with, uh, we frequently start our meeting with a couple of minutes meditation. Mm. And um, it's nine hours. <laughs> that was my computer telling the time. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, that's amazing to hear. So, tell us more a little bit about what what you're seeing on on the on this emerging edge of self organizing uh, and what we call teal organizations. Um, what are you? Obviously, the the book Reinventing Organizations came out a couple of years ago now, and and was widely read. And now there's been, I guess, uh, maybe the early adopters or people who have companies that have, um, I hope not tried to follow a recipe, but um, maybe tried to to learn from some of the 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 concepts and philosophies in that book what are you seeing as a as a person on like deeply in this movement um that brings you most excitement and most joy what what is the most uh, exciting for me is to uh, closely monitoring and uh, moving the edge of uh, the evolutionary wave um because uh, there is a massive wave uh, that is way too larger than the teal wave, and it came before the teal wave, and that's uh, in spiral dynamics language, the green wave mm. that I labeled with the capitalism with the human face, uh, and uh, and that is becoming. Uh, a significant evolutionary force. Uh, it's happening at a larger and larger scale. And uh, the next wave, the, uh, the one that is represented uh, by the reinventing organization, which is beyond that, which is has to do with uh, the coherence of uh, individual, organizational, and social evolution. So monitoring the edge and uh, helping it move forward, uh, that's uh, where I feel the most alive, uh, most energized, because connected with uh, what is um, moving uh, us uh, towards a better future, a more sustainable world. And uh, what I see 
on that edge. Uh, well, it, it comes from my situation as the founder of Enlivening Edge uh, brings me into uh, daily contact with the news of lots of innovative experiences, uh, practices, uh, how wholeness manifests, how human wholeness manifests in organizations. <clears throat> and um, because without that, self-management is just a, just a dream. Um, and um, so just recently we had the Teal Organizations track in the Integral European Conference where we had some 30 or so workshops presenting uh, cutting edge practices uh, related to this uh, emerging wave. Um, and uh, as far as my own uh, uh, main focus in this area, you know, I always like to live, to live on the edge because uh, if I don't, then I take up too much space. So living on the edge is uh, finding that uh, niche mm. where uh, my passion is meeting one of the essential needs of our world and uh, the needs that I found uh, pivotal to move uh, into the future is the training of uh, facilitators of evolutionary transformations in people, organizations, and social systems. Mm. Why, why I find that uh, pivotal? Because um, there are lots of people discovering that what Lalu wrote about, this is how I, this is how I have always been thinking, and he is expressing something that... Uh, really millions of us uh, feel, but that doesn't mean that um, people know how to turn that into practice, how to help their organization shifting into the next stage of its capabilities and consciousness uh, and effectiveness. Mm. So because they don't know that, uh, because there are no no real books about the how-to. This is something to prototype, to, and that needs to be facilitated. And that uh, needs to have um, people who are trained to do the work of uh, facilitating the transformation. So that's where, that's why I started teaching at Meridian University and writing about um, 
transformative uh, communities of practice. To me, that's the leading edge of the transformational work because those um, facilitators that we need more and more, uh, they can develop themselves only in communities of practice, which are uh, professionally facilitated peer learning uh, communities where they develop the capabilities necessary to facilitate the transformation. So each member of uh, these transformative communities of practice will be a facilitator of a community or organization transformation of their own. And in the transformative community of practice that uh, we abbreviate TCOP and uh, we pronounce it as TCOP, so in the in this teacup, uh, they can learn from their uh, colleagues, fellow facilitators of transformation in in other organizations. They can learn from each other's challenges, and uh, they are supported uh, by myself uh, and uh, some of my colleagues in community intelligence. So we are in an early phase of developing uh, this new socio-economic life form, the teacups. <laughs> and uh, just before our call, I was uh, working on the new website where we are going to describe all this in more details. Fantastic. Um, well, that brings us to the end of our time allotment, George. Uh, we could keep on talking. I could listen to, to your wisdom uh, for, for much, much longer. Thank you so much for sharing this, uh, this, this dialogue with me and for sharing your thoughts on what excites you and where this edge is. Um, I will be sure to add links to your work so that the listeners can... Um, find out about more about what you're doing um, and the edge that you're playing at. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast. Thank you for all your questions that uh, and the kind of uh, listening uh, that evoked uh, things that uh, I didn't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much, George. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to that dialogue between me and George Poor. If you want to check out more of his work, please go to aliveningedge.org. He writes amazing articles about uh, complexity science, about uh, TL organizations, about evolutionary change, about knowledge gardening, about uh, complex adaptive systems, just about some very, very interesting things. If you want to educate yourself on the edge of this emerging future to understand what is happening in the world and what role you can play in creating the future that we all want to happen. Uh, Please dive into George's work at enliveningedge.org. If you want to explore how Flowstate can help you or your organization, please go to flowstate.co. 
If you want to check out uh, retreats and what we call flow pods, then please go to flowtribe.co. Flow pods are co-learning experiences. We take six people at a time through a journey through mindfulness, meditation, flow state science, and spiritual practice. And uh, the first one is in is going on right now. We're in week two of the first flow pod, and it is a very beautiful, enriching nourishing experience for myself and and trent who's co-running it with me Uh, that's all for now thank you for listening and supporting the show